Welcome to the Daniel Yoris Podcast. This episode is all about my knee injuries, what it's like going through a major surgery, and why the ability to move is so precious. Let's go. My heart is beating super fast right now, and I'm not sure if it's because I'm a little bit nervous for some of the things that I'm going to say in this episode, or if it's because I just had another espresso and it's about 9 p.m. now. And whether that was a good idea, we'll see. I just wanted to be a little fired up for the podcast as usual. It's the first time that I'm recording one of these at night. I always do them during the day and just because I feel more creative during the day. And there is an element of creativity that's needed to do this. But this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more of a story time where I'm telling the story about my knee injuries, the surgery and recovery from all that, and mainly what I learned through all that experience. So I think everybody knows that stories are always better told at night, and that's when the deep topics and emotions really come alive. So I figured let's give it a shot. Whether or not the espresso was a good idea to be determined, hopefully the high heart rate doesn't come through on my voice too much, but here we are. So all of these injuries and all this experience for me was a pretty significant part of my life up until now. And physically, it was tough and painful and all that stuff. However, I do realize that in the grand scheme of things, this is nothing compared to what many other people go to. So I don't mean for this to be any type of sob story in any way, because again, I realize that I'm you know super privileged and everything in life, and this is a drop in the bucket. But in my life, this has been pretty significant, and I learned a lot from it. So I think I have a lot to share in regards to this story. Now, the point of me telling the story is so that one, you can get to know me better. And to be able to share about what I learned about myself and about the human body and about life in general through all of this experience. For a little bit of context, I'm 26 now and this injury stuff started happening when I was about 11 or 12 and everything was over and done with by the time I was 21 or 22. So it took up about 10 years of my life, which is pretty significant seeing as I'm only 26. So maybe over time, this is going to be less significant overall. But for now, again, it's about half my life, so pretty big uh, portion of everything. I was never a professional athlete or had any real chance to become a professional athlete, and that was never a true dream of mine. But the main sport that I played was soccer, and I trained pretty hard at it and got to a decently high level. I had tons and tons of knee injuries throughout the years, and anyone who I played with will remember this and tell you the same. I don't think that between the time period of the story that there were even 12 consecutive months where I wasn't injured. And so it was like basically my whole career where I was just coming back from injury constantly. The technical side of what happened to my knees in terms of the injuries that I sustained is not really important or relevant for the rest of the story. But just for curiosity's sake, the injuries that I had were called patellar subluxations and it happened in both knees and it happened many times. What that means is that my kneecap would essentially momentarily pop out of place and then pop itself back in. It was always a non-contact injury, which means that it never happened by somebody hitting me or kicking me. It always just happened by my own body breaking down, essentially. And honestly, thinking back to it, psychologically, it may have been a little bit easier to deal with had it been a contact injury because I can sort of place that blame on someone else. Oh, well, that guy hit me and so I got injured. But instead, it was always like, well, it just jumped and my knee collapsed. Like, what am I? What's wrong with me? And so that messes with you too a little bit with these non-contact injuries. But anyways, just so you're aware of what it is if you're if you're curious as to what the injuries were. So let's get into it. I've told a portion of this story before, but I'll get into much more detail about it this time. So the first time it ever happened, I was 11 or 12 playing soccer. I simply just jumped up to receive the ball, landed, no one around me, and my knee just collapsed. I was in a lot of pain, didn't know what happened. It was, you know, I heard a loud crack and it felt really weird and painful and all these things. And of course, we had no idea what happened. So we went to the ER that night 
just to you know see what's going on. There were no fracture or serious damage or anything. They took an x-ray, I imagine. And they just said, oh, it's some type of sprain and go see your doctor or go to physio or whatever. So thankfully, no real emergency. And so we did that. So we found a physiotherapist and it was a fine experience. But I again, I was 11 or 12. So it was kind of dismissed in a way where I recall the physios and the people in there saying that, you know, well, you're young and it's just a growing thing. You'll grow out of it. it you know, the bones are growing faster than the muscles. One side is pulling more than the other and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, you'll outgrow it. It's not that big a deal. Just use this little ultrasound machine, use this machine and do these little exercises and you'll be fine. And it wasn't taken all that seriously. And how would I know? I mean, I healed and it was seemed okay. And I didn't know any better. I felt fine after. Obviously, this was not the case as I did what I was told and then went back to play and it happened again and then went back and did the same stuff and it happened again. And, you know, surprise, surprise, you do the same thing and you keep getting the same results. And we changed therapists, went to a different physio clinic, you know, tried these different things. And again, same story, same result. Fast forward a couple of years of running through this cycle of get injured, go to physio, lackluster treatment, get out of physio, get back on the field, get injured again, rinse and repeat. And, you know, of course, it's got annoying and whatever. And eventually I met two practitioners named Aaron and Carla, and they are fantastic and amazing, wonderful humans. And I would love to have them on the podcast at some point and reconnect with them again, but that'll come later. Anyways, the point is that this is where lesson one comes in, where I learned that all practitioners are not created equal. The letters beside your name don't make you a good practitioner. And this is not a knock on any physio, chiro, athletic therapist, anything. I think all the professions are fine and good and good at what they do. However, the individual is more important than the letter beside one's name. Now, Carla really took the time to teach me about my body, teach me about the biomechanics of the knee, how things work, how my body moves, how the injury might occur. And she showed me mostly how I'm moving incorrectly and how to fix that. This is where I learned how to squat for the first time properly and how to actually improve my movements and mitigate these things. And above and beyond these things that she taught me was that she was the first person who said that it's not just a growing or imbalanced thing, that there are things that I'm doing that are incorrect, that are contributing to the injuries continuing to happening, as well as the possibility that there are actual structural deficiencies that are contributing to all of these injuries. And it's not necessarily my fault. It's just something that we need to combat. And maybe some more invasive procedures might be needed here. I specifically recall one tape job she did where I don't know the name of it or anything, but she basically taped my kneecap in place where it's supposed to be held because my kneecap essentially sat out of where it's supposed to be and that's why it was so prone to dislocation and I remember it feeling crazy weird because I was like wow this is like it feels strange but feels good and it took me a couple steps to sort of almost figure out like how to walk again and I left the tape job on for a day just to feel it out and I was like oh this is what it's supposed to feel like but there's nothing that we can do that is going to make my knee actually stay in this place. There's no amount of strengthening or whatever that is going to make it stay here. And that's when we started to really consider a surgical route. There were certainly a lot of non-invasive things that we were doing and we continue to do that were going to support all of it, but none of them were really going to solve the root issue. So if by chance you're not from Canada, the way things work here is you need to go to your family doctor to then get a referral to a surgeon and there's a whole process of things that need to happen. You can't just make an appointment to go see a surgeon as you please. So I go see my doctor. He pokes around my knee, does some tests, does whatever, and says, the ligaments are intact. No need for surgery. It's just a little bit of clicking. You're just growing pains. And I said, okay, whatever. Like, I mean, 
I don't know how to convince this guy. He's a doctor. Like, what am I going to tell him that he's wrong now? And then he proceeded to ask me, and I'll never forget this because I had started working out before this. So at this point in the story, I should maybe back this up. I'm 19 years old. So I had started working out. And then as I'm telling him this, he starts asking me if I'm considering using steroids since I work out now at a gym. And I was like, no, I mean, does it look like I use steroids? And I thought that was just hilarious. But anyways, I couldn't convince him to get me to see a surgeon and there's nothing I could do. So we just waited, try again in a few months, maybe. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. In that few months, I hurt my knee again. And, you know, I had to go back into his office and we had to get it done this time. So the second time I learned from my mistakes from the first time with him and I went in and I definitely played up the story. I was in pain and the knee was certainly injured, but I limped as much as I could. I winced at every movement that he made and told him my quality of life is low and all this stuff. And, you know, I had a super high pain tolerance. So like nothing he did really hurt me or anything like that. But I knew that I had to put on a show just to get him to refer me to a surgeon. And so I did that and it worked, thankfully. Now, is this how the medical system is meant to be used? Am I trying to say that I am smarter than my doctor? Obviously not. But sometimes you know your body better than someone else. And when many other people are telling you that there's something wrong, then you need to do what's right for you. So do what you want with your health, but always remember that you are in control of your own health no matter what. So went to see a surgeon. I got in with a surgeon who is an orthopedic surgeon for one of the pro teams here or a couple of the pro teams here in Toronto. And so a pretty you know, well-respected doctor. And the funniest thing is that when I saw him, he comes in, examines my knee, and he starts laughing as he's, you know, moving my leg around. And I was confused. And then he said, I have some student residents here today. Would you mind if I brought them in to show them your knee? It's not very often that we get to see knee this bad. And I was like, oh, great. So, you know, here he is, an expert at this stuff, telling me that my knee is so bad he wants to show it off to his students. Meanwhile, the family doctor is telling me that it's just growing pain. So, you know, someone's wrong here. <laughs> So he finishes his examination, gives me what he thinks is the information and you know stuff that we need to do, which is pretty well in line with what Carla was saying. So again, another huge credit to her on that being bang on with all of that stuff. But the issue that I had was so uncommon that there's only one doctor here in Ontario who actually performs the type of surgery that I needed. So even though he was a, you know, I call him a top doctor being with the pro teams, I still needed to be referred to another surgeon. And the procedure that I had for any other science therapy nerds out there like me. It's called a Fulkerson osteotomy. And so I'll spare you all the details, but just to give a little bit of context again, the way that this surgery works is that where your patellar tendon, so that thick, hard tendon that's on the bottom of your kneecap attaches to your tibia, your shin bone, there's a small bump there. And so that's the connection point. So what they had to do was basically cut that part of the bone and then bring it down into place and then screw it back in. So they more or less had to break my leg and then screw it back in to get the joint in place. That combined with some ligament repairs and stuff that had to happen in there. So I have five incisions for that. Some are pretty big. There's one, you know, five inch incision right on the front of my knee, two smaller ones on the one side, and then two small holes on uh, in the front side. And so, you know, if you've seen me in person wearing shorts, whatever, you, you'll have seen the scars on my knee. So they're pretty big and always a reminder and you know, always a, a story to tell whenever someone sees it for the first time. So lesson number two at this point was that, you know, never think you're smarter than doctors or smarter than those people above you, but you do have to take ownership and take control of your own health because you are the one who has to live your life, not somebody else. And now we get into the fun stuff, the recovery part. So I get home from the surgery. My leg is in a removable 
brace where my leg is held completely straight and I was instructed to not even undo the brace unless absolutely necessary for at least two weeks until I would get the stitches out. So that means no bending of the leg at all and I also was unable to weight bear on my leg which means I can't step on it or put any or put my foot on the ground at all. So what would happen should I do that because the screws were in there holding the bones together if I put too much weight or too much force through it, I ran the risk of essentially shattering my leg. So until the bone started to grow in around the screws that are still in my knee, that's when I would be able to bear weight on it. Two weeks later, we go back to do the first check-in. Everything seems to be healing well and fine and good. And this was actually the most painful part of the entire process. And when you have surgery, I guess maybe not everywhere, but on your leg for sure, they shave the entire area so that it's clean and all that stuff. And then they put a bandage over that. And maybe some women listening, you'll know this, but I was certainly not prepared for this. And my mom was laughing at me the whole time. So they shave your leg and then put the bandaid on top, but hair grows underneath the bandage. And now it's like really stuck into that bandaid. So you're trying to take that bandaid off and it is absolutely killer. I can't imagine what it feels like to wax any part of your body. So kudos to anybody who does that because you are a real trooper. And that was more painful than anything else that I went through. And I still remember my mom laughing at me about this one. Anyways, everything looked good. And I was able to now bend my knee to 15 degrees. So I couldn't put my weight on the ground. So still no weight bearing. That was not going to be coming into play until much later. And I was still instructed to keep my leg inside the brace. So leg completely straight, except for when I was quote-unquote exercising and basically the only thing I could do was try to bend my knee to about 15 degrees which if you look at it 15 degrees is really not that much at all but even just doing that little bit it was it was difficult and you know I would try and do it and my leg would get swollen up and painful and throbbing and all this stuff and every two weeks I would kind of go back for check-ins and Assuming all was going well, I would be allowed a little bit more movement, you know, 10 to 15 degrees at a time. And that continued for 13 weeks exactly. So I did not put my left foot on the ground for 13 weeks. Just take a second to imagine what that's like. And every couple of weeks, again, I got a little bit more movement, but not putting your foot on the ground or being able to do much, there was a ton of atrophy and or muscle shrinking. And my leg, by the end of it, I remember looking at my leg and it was basically the size of my forearm. It was tiny and a little bit gross, honestly, but you know, it wasn't used for so long. And I remember also the first time that I actually did put my foot on the ground and put like 10% of weight through it, that I had all these pins and needles shooting up through my entire leg because it just hadn't held any weight for so long and it was like such a new feeling and everything just felt so awkward and new and very strange and I was almost like I had to relearn how to walk again. I had to go very slowly with the amount of weight that I was putting on it and the amount of movement that I was putting through it and I was I was literally holding on to the counter and a crutch on another side and then taking like not even a step. I would just put my foot on the ground, my left foot on the ground and then I would just kind of rock back and forth ever so slightly and that's how it started and then slowly I was able to take a first step and then <laughs> like like a baby trying to walk again it was very strange experience learning to walk when you're 21 years old now that summer this was 2014 so there was world cup on that summer the surgery was in june and which is in when the world cup is and so i basically just 
well, I couldn't move, right? So I couldn't walk or really get anywhere around on my own. So we set up a bed in the family room because going up the stairs was impossible. And I stayed in that room. I watched every single game of that World Cup. And I basically just played video games and like watched TV and stuff all day because I really couldn't like go anywhere or do much else. Now, in hindsight, should I have been like reading books and, you know, doing all self-development stuff? Yeah, like probably, but I didn't. So, you know, here we are. I, I remember even I watched at that point, four seasons of Game of Thrones were out. I watched all four seasons in literally four days. And then I decided that I didn't like it. So if anyone ever gets upset at me for not liking Game of Thrones, I gave it as fair a shot as you can get. And I decided this is not for me. And, you know, then I just stopped, then I stopped watching it and just completely ignored it. But anyways, I basically did nothing. I was completely useless. I was not able to do anything. Uh, the first couple of weeks, I was definitely taking a lot of pain medication. Not a lot. I mean, I guess they were just Tylenol 3s or whatever, but I would take them regularly. And it kind of is actually a bit of a fuzzy memory the first couple of weeks. So when you come out of surgery, you're all like, you know, doped up on whatever it is that they give you to put you to sleep and you you feel nothing. I barely remember what it was like getting home because I just remember feeling totally fine. And then it starts to wear off and then the pain comes in and all that stuff. And so, you know, I would take the pain medication as, as prescribed, but and again, not that it was anything super heavy or super strong, but it it still kind of numbed my my feeling, obviously, but it more so numbed my like emotions and my memories. Thinking back to those first two weeks, I, it's very fuzzy and I barely remember it other than just being there. I felt just very neutral and mellow, like I was like I was hardly even doing anything. I just kind of felt like a zombie for two weeks until I stopped taking them and didn't need them anymore. And I still remember exactly what the medication felt like more so than what my body actually felt like. I just remember taking it and then I would get super cold and then I would get really hot and I would start sweating like crazy and then I would almost fall asleep. And that was basically what I was doing when I wasn't sleeping. I was kind of half awake and that was just my state for two weeks. So it was definitely weird. Obviously, I felt like I needed them at the time, so I used them, but I kind of wish that I almost didn't take them and not to be like, you know, macho and try and tough it out. But just to have that experience, I feel like I just, you know, skipped past two weeks of my life and not that anything happened, but just emotionally numb and just, it it almost feels like it doesn't exist to me. So I kind of wish that I didn't take them and just kind of went through that and felt what it felt like. And I would have that memory a little bit better. So this whole period of this 13 and a bit weeks is where I really started to get an appreciation for the ability to move. And I probably didn't really realize it at the time, but shortly after and through the experiences and some reflection, this is when I really started to appreciate it. There were many moments and instances that kind of stick out, but I want to share the most important one that will forever stick with me. And remember here, my I'm not able to bend my leg. I'm not able to put my foot on the ground and I'm kind of, you know, woozy on painkillers here. Doing anything on my own wasn't was a massive effort and I got up to go to the bathroom, which of course it has to be done. Nobody can do that for me. And the bathroom was only like 10 steps away from the family room. So it's really not even far, but getting up and just like kind of rolling over, getting vertical, moving was a, was a whole ordeal. It took me probably 30 minutes just to go to the bathroom every time. And I would almost have to like take breaks, like just to get up, to stand up. I would need to just kind of take a breath and just chill and be like, okay, am I, how dizzy am I? Do I feel stable on the crutch? Am I okay? All right. Take the steps to the bathroom chill for a second. Okay. I'm a good, do what I got to do. 
chill for a second, get dressed again, and then make my way back. And it was just, again, it was just a whole adventure doing this. And there was this one time, again, that this is, this one sticks out to me the most. For whatever reason, I was even more frustrated than normal. And this time it was more painful. It was whatever it was. And I finished what I had to do and I'm sitting there in the bathroom and I remember calling out to my mom to come in the bathroom and help me get dressed and put my pants on again. Let that sink in for a second here, right? I'm 20 years old and here I am sitting down calling out to my mom to help me get dressed. I think that is by far the most humbling experience of my life. And I will do anything to never have that happen again. Now, again, I didn't really realize it at that time. And like, yes, this inability to move was caused by a surgery that I chose and all that stuff. But it's a long, long way away from not being able to move out of my own choosing, you know, to not be able to get dressed and think of yourself not now, but think of yourself when you're 80 or 90. It's not outside the realm of possibility that your physical body will deteriorate and you need somebody to help you get dressed. And the the difference between what happened to me, you know, that was a one-off instance. It happened one time. But if you need someone to help you get dressed when you're 80 or 90, that's, that's your life. And again, I remember the one time calling out to my mom and it was like, oh, this is, this is terrible. And, and it only happened one time. I can't even imagine what it would feel like if if that's your normal and every single day you need somebody to help you put your socks on and get dressed and brush your teeth and again i know that for you listening that is probably so far away but again it is not outside the realm of possibility that by not paying attention to your body you will one day lose the ability to move and be independent and maybe it won't be that extreme but maybe you can't pick up your grandkids maybe you can't carry your grocery into your house on your own, something like that. And I wish that this happens to nobody ever. And I and I'm trying not to like sensationalize my experience too much, but for me, this was this was just so extreme, and I will never forget this. And again, I I wish this happens to nobody, and I would do anything for that to never happen again. And this is why movement is so important to me as a human, as myself, and for other people, because the best reason to move is because we can move. It's not about being the strongest. It's not about being the leanest or looking good and all that stuff. That that stuff is good, and I, and I like it, and it's all secondary to just being able to live your life and be a human. And maybe more important than all of that, Mom, if you're listening, I know you did so many things for me throughout that whole time and for my whole life. But I don't know if you remember this instance specifically, but I'll never forget it. So thank you very much. And I love you. And this brings us to lesson number three from this whole thing, or three and four, I guess, that one, move because you can appreciate the fact that you can move and use it every day and never, ever lose that. And lesson number four is call your mom and tell her that you love her. Moving on now to get out of my feelings and get on with the story. The rehab process after all this was pretty straightforward. It was just all about increasing mobility and increasing strength and muscle mass. And it was a pretty long and grueling process. Like I said, no weight bearing for 13 weeks, barely any movement. So there was little to no muscle mass remaining. And I remember my leg was like the size of my arm. So I had to build all that back up. It took about a year 
or so until I felt comfortable running and playing sports and doing stuff again. And I wasn't like really 100% confident. I was able to do everything, but I was constantly thinking about it and worried about it. And it wasn't until another year where I was actually confident in it. And that's pretty well where I am today. I don't think about my knee on a daily basis. It doesn't bother me. I have no pain or anything associated with it. The only thing, if anything, it's a little bit funny maybe, is that I have two screws that are stay in my knee, two metal screws. And you've heard maybe like old people will talk about that they can feel the weather in their joints if they have arthritis or if they have a fake knee or fake hip or something like that. And I can definitely feel that too sometimes when, when it's like going to thunder or lightning and uh, if it's super humid and stuff like that, I can definitely feel it a little bit in my knee. And it's not painful. I don't get any pain, but I just, I actually feel more tightness around the scar, like just the skin more than anything. But uh, there's no pain, no tightness, no issues with the knee. It's all fine and good. I do whatever I want. And it's not something that I think about basically ever. Sometimes I think back and think about what would I have done different had I known everything that I know now. And I mean, I try not to dwell on this too much because it's a little bit of a useless endeavor in terms of I can't actually change it or do anything about it. So why is thinking about it and getting upset useful? But just to give any insight, if anyone is going through some type of injury like this or whatever, I would be very strict about finding good practitioners. Don't settle for someone who's not good. If you go to them and you think that they are not good at what they do, they're not helping you, they're not listening to what's going on, then don't feel any obligation to continue with that practitioner, whatever type of practitioner they are, and go find somebody who is better because you deserve good care. I would have also spent more time earlier on in the process studying my actual injuries. So learning more about the biomechanics of the knee and how surgeries work and how injuries happen and all these things and just do a little bit of more self-research just to be more involved in the process and have a better idea of what's going on. And obviously, I don't expect anyone or everyone to have like an anatomy or physiology background, but being able to understand this better helps you to communicate more efficiently and effectively with your doctor and with your healthcare practitioners of any kind. Because, you know, in school, we're taught using scientific terms. And it's a skill to be able to translate the scientific terms and names for things into language that everybody can understand. But if you can understand a little bit of what's going on, then they can communicate it better to you. And a lot of times I find with many doctors and with other people, people say that they're doctors and communicate to them well. And yes, the doctor should be able to communicate better, but sometimes they just don't tell you everything because they assume that you don't know anything. And by giving you some information, it's just going to give more questions and answers and it's not really relevant. So if you are more educated or at least a little bit educated, then you can have better communication with your doctor and, and ask better questions to just better understand the entire process. Another big one is that I would have been way more aggressive at my prehab before the surgery. Prehab is like the rehab that you're going to do before you actually get surgery or injured and whatever. So I would have built up my leg strength and my movement mechanics and stuff way more than I did. I did a pretty good job at it, but I again, I would have just been way more aggressive at it because the better your prehab is, then the better your recovery and the faster everything happens afterwards. So when you can be aggressive at it, then definitely do so. And this goes for mainly for any type of surgical procedure when you know something is coming up. And the last thing that I would have done differently, I touched on this a little bit already, is I would have just taken little to no painkillers in those first two weeks. And again, not to be a tough guy or anything like that, but it just numbed the entire experience for me. And I kind of feel like I missed out on that. And would it have been good to be in pain and uncomfortable? Like, obviously not. But 
it was something that I hoped to never go through again. And I had that experience and I missed out on it. So sometimes I wish I could have just felt what that was like and kind of gone through it. I, I wasn't going to be detrimental to me. It would have sucked, but I would have, you know, who knows what would have come of it. Probably nothing, but it's just something that I feel like I missed out on and I, I wish I had it. Going through this entire process really shaped a lot of who I am today as both a trainer and a coach, as well as just a human. It was a pretty significant portion of my life, both in the events that occurred and in the time that it took up. Again, it was about 10 years of my life and I'm only 26, so pretty significant that way as well. Now, I learned a lot. I became who I am today because of it. I have a very high appreciation for the human body and a very high interest in how it works and how to make it work better and how to make it break down less. And I think these are really important things that I learned throughout all of this. And just to recap the other lessons that I learned through all this or the highlights of them is that I have a very high appreciation for people who are good at what they do. And I really realized that having a title doesn't make you good at what you do. And I this goes across any profession. All lawyers are not good at what they do. All accountants are not good at what they do. All doctors, all physios, all chiropractors, all athletic therapists, whatever, are not good at what they do. But the person is what matters most. For better or worse, I learned how to play the game in the Canadian healthcare system, and I hope that I never have to use that again. But an important thing to know, because the main thing is that I learned you are in control of your own health. Nobody else, nobody cares more than you do. Nobody feels what you do. So you need to truly take ownership of your own health and make things happen when you need care. And that doesn't necessarily mean manipulate the healthcare system. That also means make sure you're eating healthy, make sure you're exercising, make sure you're doing the things in your day-to-day -day life to keep yourself healthy because you can't rely on other stuff to make you healthy. You are your number one healthcare practitioner in all of your life. The most tangible thing that I learned throughout this entire experience was that we as humans need to move because we can. It is not outside the realm of possibility that there will come a day where you are unable to move. And at that time, you will wish for nothing more than to be able to go for a walk, pick up your grandkid by yourself, carry your groceries in. You're not going to care about doing bicep curls and running a marathon and all that stuff is amazing and I love it. But that's not at the end of the day what matters. What matters is being able to move and live your life freely and independently. And if we don't take care of it now, it may come a time where it's too late to take care of it. So wherever you are in your life, in your age, in your physical journey, start focusing on always being able to move from now until forever. And last, but certainly most important lesson that I learned through all of this is tell your mom you love them because they will literally do anything for you, no matter how silly or ridiculous it may be. If you made it through this entire podcast, thank you so much for listening. I genuinely appreciate your time and attention. I hope you were able to take some things away to learn something about your own life. And I didn't mean for this to just be story time about me, but again, to just teach the lessons that I learned through this significant experience in my life. If you have any questions about this story, if you have anything to share or anything to add, thoughts, concerns, please reach out to me on Instagram. It's the best place to reach me right now at Daniel Yoris is my Instagram handle and I would love to connect with you and chat with you there. If you haven't been able to yet, I would also appreciate if you were able to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform it is you listen to and leave a rating and review on iTunes if possible as again, these are just small things to help spread the show and help spread the word and hopefully help more people because that's what it's all about. Thank you so much for listening. We'll chat soon. Take care.